Like, there's so much wrong with this movie, both intentional, unintentional. It's just, it's just perfect. Radio Drome. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome. I am Josh Headley. With me, as always, is Canada's number one rape ape, the Peter. Absolutely. Are you a rape ape or a grape ape or a grape rape ape? All, all of them. Every single one of them. All the time. Every day. 24-7. Bigly, bigly. Cecil is not going to be here. He had something come up. So we will be looking at the second half, i.e. the Mike years of the Mystery Science Theater films. But before that, you guys need to help out the show. Go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping. And also, and also, there is NordVPN. It's a virtual private network. In today's age, you really, really need a VPN. For one, they'll help protect your data. They'll encode your data. They'll make it a lot harder for somebody to try and steal your identity or to strong arm your passwords. You can get around region locking. Say that show you want to watch is only available in England. Well, all of a sudden, hey, look at that. I'm in England, according to my server. They can help protect you in some of the shadier parts of the internet that you probably shouldn't be in, but if you're listening to this show, we know you are. So you need a VPN, and Nord is there to help you. If you go to 1201beyond.com backslash VPN, you will get 75% off of a three-year plan. That's only $2.99 a month off of a three-year plan. I can't recommend Nord any higher, and you really need to do this. 1201beyond.com backslash Drome VPN. So where we left off, we, we we were bitching about Wade Williams being a cunt, and then we stopped right about the Joel years. So we're going to look at the films themselves that Mystery Science Theater showcased, starting with the Mike years. How did you watch Mystery Science Theater, Peter? Did you watch them in order, or did you come in after the fact, or were you there for the transition of Joel to Mike? I came in during the Mike years, and it was on the, um, what's, what's our space, space channel is where we... We got uh, Mystery Science Theater here in Canada, and it was during the kind of peak of the Mike years. I, I came in, um, I don't know if it was reruns or if it was the original circulation, but I came in during episodes of Space Mutiny. What was it? What, what's the... Oh man, chasing chasing death or something. It's it's that one where they where they make fun of uh, rednecks a lot. Just episodes like that. I I saw mainly with with Mike originally, and then I watched from there. And then later on, I went and checked out the the Joel era and the older stuff, and everything just kind of kind of snowballed from there. But yeah, I I started out watching Mike on on TV on our on our beloved Space Channel, which really is one of the better channels that we got here in Canada in the 90s because it it aired a lot of stuff uncut, and that was great. Here. 
year it was still on Comedy Central at this point. Mike didn't come in during the network transition, so we're still in the Comedy Central years, so we're kind of all over the place in terms of genre. The movies themselves is what we're looking at. Like Brain That Wouldn't Die. Yeah, that one kind of deserves MST3K. That's not a... I mean, it's a classic in the in quotes, you know? It's a perfect, like, B-monster creature feature kind of thing. Like, it fits the aesthetic of, of Mystery Science Theater very well, and it's it's just a perfectly riffable kind of movie. It's it's one of those 3 a.m. films. Yeah, it's something you, you throw on and, and you chuckle at it while you eat a bag of chips or what's left over of a pizza. But then you have the weird one. You have a canon film thrown in there. Alien from L.A. <laughs> I, this was sort of, I don't know what to say about this one. This one I saw on VHS. I didn't see this on Mystery Science Theater first. Is it riffable? Oh, yes. But it's really high budget, a lot of special effects. It's a freaking canon movie. <laughs> I have no idea how Comedy Central got Alien from L.A. Canon, you never really know as far as the, the distribution rights go because it could either be something that they had ownership of at the time and then those rights were relinquished after the, the company went under. So I, I don't see it as impossible that they could have gotten a, gotten a Canon flick because those, those vary depending on who directed it, who originally produced it, when it was actually filmed. And, and that is a, that's a great episode too. But then there's, you know, then they go back to the classics like beginning of the end the the giant bugs climbing on buildings and okay it's a it, it's a cheesy goofy movie but there's something about the special effects like the way it's real bugs being photographed and then superimposed onto the buildings am i the only one that thinks it has like a weird ethereal sort of dreamlike quality to how weird beginning of the end is i've just always preferred those kind of effects to begin with the kind of superimposing bugs onto smaller sets or you know using camera trickery to to make them look better i mean it's with that movie and and with movies like uh i believe them is the nuclear ant movie them is one of the best one of the best atomic creature movies ever absolutely and it has those kind of effects too the kind of superimposed using the real real bug against like different camera trickery methods and stuff no them is all fake bugs is it they look amazing they look amazing yeah because them is a fantastic looking oh, film. I, for it's, some reason, I remember yeah, it being like some superimposed effects and stuff. I don't. They, they are very lifelike. I, I think. I think you're sure. thinking of Empire of the Ants from the 70s. Maybe it, in, in, Empire Maybe of the I Ants am. does have real ant footage superimposed. I think you're confusing your giant ant movies. I, I do watch those back to back, so that it could be that I'm kind of uh, bleeding them, bleeding them together. E- either way, those are those are always great, and those are perfect types of movies. Again, for for Mystery Science Theater, it seems like the the, the creature films are usually their 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 best sort of material. Creature films are like or like shitty science fiction movies are usually the the best way for them to to get get really good jokes out of the film. Well, and then there's the Atomic Brain, and then Outlaw. Although, I, I always knew this movie as Outlaw of Gore. I don't know why their print only was Outlaw. Well, alternate, alternate titles. I mean, it, that, that goes all the way back to Ator and Cave Dwellers. I personally always got a kick out of, I saw all the Gore movies on VHS. I always got a kick out of the Gore movies. I even have some of the novels that they're based on. I've never read them. Remember in the, in the early 80s, this is after Star Wars is big and after Conan is big, there were all these weird hybrid films that were space opera but 
fantasy as well. So you'd have wizards with laser guns and stuff. Do you remember there was that weird hybrid genre of sci-fi fantasy? Well, yeah, we had, uh, there was Crawl, Sword and the Sorcerer, like movies like that where you, you couldn't really tell exactly what, uh, genre they were going for, but you can tell that at the time Conan and Star Wars were really big and they wanted to make that sort of thing. So hey, throw them together. Why not? That, that'll, that'll make money. And you know what? We did get some really entertaining movies out of that, so I'm, I'm glad it happened. Well, and then, then there was also, no, this is the one you confused in the first part of this, Santa Claus. You thought, you were thinking of Santa Claus Conquers the Martians as this Santa Claus. The one with the the devil. Yeah, this is the one with the devil. They're two very similar movies in tone too. They they look uh they look quite alike. Both are absolutely excellent too though as uh, as B movies. I love both Santa Claus Conquers the Martians and uh, and the Santa Claus. But then there's Village of the Giants. Now this was I can't remember if this was the pilot the 2-hour pilot for the TV show or or what. I do remember I saw this one on UHF television before I saw it uh, cuz I used to watch Village of the Giants in syndication. Eh, mm. I don't know about this one, but then we got to talk about zombie nightmare i know <laughs> i can't remember exactly where i saw zombie nightmare it was either hbo or on vhs but i you know mm. i saw this before it was on mystery science theater zombie nightmare is one of those movies that is almost unclassifiable because you've got john mickle thor and you've got tia carrere and you've got adam west and it's not a good film at all but you <laughs> and, and it's imminently riffable but at the same time I have to say, it looks like they were trying to make a really good movie. They just failed on every conceivable level. It's almost like it, not, not in an, I'm not comparing the movie to an Ed Wood film. There's that sort of, in an Ed Wood movie, you can see how hard he's trying, you know? And I think Zombie Nightmare is the same way. That's the thing with, um, it's kind of an understatement to say that a, that a John Mickle Thor movie isn't good. I mean, all of his movies basically have this, like, almost Ed Woodian feel to them. You know, rock, rock and roll nightmare is kind of the same way. It's, it's strange. There definitely is an Ed Wood vibe to it. They're usually quite competently shot. Like they, they look okay, but then there's, there's something off kilter about the acting. There's something off kilter about, about the sets and just the, the, the way people, they, they don't feel like people. They feel like puppets or something. But that one is, is again, another perfect, just as if it was made to be riffed on, on Mystery Science Theater. Like, I mean, anything with John Micklethor is going to be perfect for Mystery Science Theater. I, I got mad when I was watching that John Micklethor documentary. God, does that guy have an ego about himself he talks about how he's the he's the the best metal band ever and you know just the record companies couldn't see this and then when he started getting roles in like rock and roll nightmare and zombie nightmare and stuff he he was like i thought i was going to be making real movies not these b it's like john you're not good enough for like a warner brothers film you know (laughs) it's like your ego is disproportionate to your talent here john I mean, I admire his, uh, his confidence, I guess, and he's very fun to watch. Like, he's quite a, quite a living character. There definitely is, like, an unchecked, uh, ego there as far as the way he perceives himself and the way he really is, which really is just more, more of a gimmick act. I mean, I don't think it was ever really, I mean, I know 
a lot of his songs were rated quite highly. He was pretty big in Canada. I believe he's a Canadian artist. And I know that his movies have like heaps of cult status to them, but he's really just more, more of a gimmick. He, he's that buff dude that looks like Thor that was in rock and roll nightmare. I mean, that's kind of just what, what people remember him as. And I, I don't think he sees it that way. He sees himself as this like genuine rock star guy. To be fair to Zombie Nightmare, they knew how to use him properly as a silent giant oaf. That's the proper way to use John Micklethor. It is. Don't don't let him talk. <laughs> don't don't let him try to act. Just use his uh, use his size and his uh, Thor looks. I guess I don't know. Well, but then there was the creeping terror. And, and again, we're only going through the ones that I saw before they were on Mystery Science Theater. The creeping terror. That movie's a hard set. That movie is so bad it's barely fun. And I. You could tell the MST guys were having even trouble riffing this. The Creeping Terror is an incompetent movie on every level. I only ever saw that one on uh, on Mystery Science Theater. Well, and then there's Ed Wood's The Violent Years. I remember this one also. Probably the biggest shock of The Violent Years is how boring the movie is. For a movie <laughs> called The Violent Years, you would think it would not be this goddamn boring. Uh, sometimes it's just about drawing you in with the, the title or the box art. Like, a, a lot of movies lie. Movies are, are some of the biggest liars ever. Then there's the Starfighters, the Sinister Urge, the Great Kitten with a Whip. But I want to talk about Red Zone Cuba. Not only is it a great MST episode... I don't know what this movie is supposed to be. I did catch this movie on UHF <laughs> TV in like the late 80s and uh, oh, just John Carradine. Okay. I don't know what the point of Red Zone Cuba as a movie is. It just sort of meanders around until it hits feature length and then it just stops. What, what were you trying to do? Did you just have access to camera and some 35 millimeter film and said, let's goof around? I don't understand Red Zone Cuba. This movie is a hard sit. The Mystery Science Theater episode is a hard sit. This movie is hard <laughs> to get through, Peter. Yeah, that sounds about right. Then there's The Great Tor Johnson, The Beast of Yucca Flats. Then there's Angel's Revenge, The Amazing Transparent Man, Samson vs. the Vampire Women, Night of the Blood Beast, but then Deathstalker and the Warriors from Hell. <laughs> so the Deathstalker movies were HBO staples back in the day. This is one of the worst ones. I, I don't know if... If when they, cause they're still on Comedy Central at this point, I don't know if when they were going through these, if they chose that because, hey, this is the worst of the Death Stalkers, or if that just happened to be the one that they got. This is not a good introduction to the Death Stalker franchise for people. <laughs> and most people have seen the Mystery Science Theater version before they saw any of the others. This was not a good way to get into the Death Stalker movies. This was, no, this was the worst one. No, it isn't. Um, I mean, a great way to get into it is, um, I find the second one to be the, the best of the series. Even the first one is very fun and very Conan-esque. If um, Conan were but, a rapist. If Conan were a rapist the entire time, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Deathstalker and Deathstalker 2 are two very, very, very different movies. Yet, yet very similar at the same time. But no, that, that episode is, if you're looking to, to see what the Deathstalker character is about, you, you couldn't pick a, a worse episode to be introduced through to it. But then there is The Incredible Melting Man. The Mystery Science Theater guys call one of the worst movies they've ever sat through because <laughs> it's 
literally just a guy running around melting for 90 minutes. Now, personally, I enjoy the movie on a certain level, because I caught this on, like, UHF TV in the mid to late 80s, and with a title like The Incredible Melting Man, and then finding out later it's a Williams, early William Sachs movie. I mean, I guess technically the title doesn't lie. I mean, I can't agree that it's it's one of the worst movies they've ever watched. Like, no way. They, they've watched much, much worse films than that. I personally love The Incredible Melting Man, even for its cheesiness, even for the the doctor that seems to be obsessed with whether you got his crackers or not. And the effects are great. I, I love the, the, the melting effects in The Incredible Melting Man. It's got an interesting pace to it. It's just one of those, um, got a very specific tone to it. I think what they mean by the one of the worst films is it was the hardest to riff. There's so, it's kind of like with Manos. There's so much of absolutely nothing happening on screen. <laughs> you you were supposed to be making jokes over this, but it's yeah. just a guy melting. So I, I think that's what they mean by worst movie is this was hard to riff. Yeah, I can, I can see that. It's, it's got, um, it, it really, it does. It has that kind of sloggy 70s B monster movie pace to it where it's like, it's entertaining and you feel like you could probably make fun of it pretty good. But yeah, there are scenes of, of just characters like sitting at a table and having tea or, you know, the, the incredible melting man walking around in the woods and then you kind of, you do, you wonder to yourself, like, when is, uh, when's something gonna happen so I can poke fun at it? When I saw Escape 2000 on Mystery Science Theater, I thought it was a different movie. I thought mm. it was the, cause see, the Australian movie with Steve Ralsbeck with the werewolf guy that eats toes with, the, that's, you know, the most dangerous game. We got, it was originally called Turkey Shoot. In America, it was released as Escape 2000. I thought that's what the Escape 2000 on Mystery Science Theater was, so I got excited because I'd already seen that, but no, it's a totally different movie called Escape 2000, and I'm like, I want werewolves eating toes! <laughs> I I don't think I've actually seen that episode. I I always assume the escape for Escape 2001 was uh was Turkey Shoot. Nope, it was not. Ah, that's disappointing. Now we're moving into the sci-fi channel era. The movie deserves to be riffed. I'm not trying to make the case that it, it's some untouchable classic, but I truly, genuinely love Laser Blast. I literally have two Laser Blast alien action figures on my wall, one that glows in the dark. There's something about Laser Blast I dig. It, maybe it's David Allen's stop motion. Laser Blast is a fun three in the morning 1989 UHF movie. Oh, that's a, yeah, and it, it's perfect for Mystery Science Theater too, because you know it's it's got the very it's very high concept with very low budget. The, the, the little stop motion aliens are, are great. There's definitely something charming about it. It's 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 one of those um, movies that really let you know early on that Charles Band was going to be something special. But like I said, I'm not trying to say the movie shouldn't have been riffed. I just don't think a lot of people take Laser Blast at its face value because most people saw it on Mystery Science Theater first. Well, yeah, um, and that's a movie that I, I did see. I, I don't know when I ended up seeing the episode for Laser Blast, but I do know that I had seen the movie by itself first. So I, I feel like I was able to appreciate it a, a little a little better that way. I mean, around around that time, I was just watching like random low-budget science fiction and, and horror movies anyway, so at the same time, I was also watching 
watching Mystery Science Theater. But I mean, that, that's just, it's a perfect movie to have for the show. And again, like you said, it's a great movie to just throw on at two, three in the morning. Then we come to is one of the weirdestly high profile and classic films on Mystery Science Theater, Revenge of the Creature. The mm. Creature from the Black Lagoon sequel, which I like Revenge of the Creature. Is, is it as good as Creature from the Black Lagoon? Of course it's not. It's got a lot of stupid things in it. It's not as bad <laughs> as the, Now, The Creature Walks Among Us, that's a totally different scenario. Revenge of the Creature, I remember catching this because at this point they were on Sci-Fi Channel, and I don't know why Sci-Fi Channel decided this will be a great time to hit Mystery Science Theater's audience at 10 a.m. on Saturdays. That's what movie nerds like to do. Get up early on Saturdays. No, they don't. <laughs> I, don't I, don't, I don't know why. I don't know what Space did, but that's when Sci-Fi had Mystery Science Theater on. 10 a.m. on Saturdays was new episodes. How is this not on Friday nights in prime time? What are you yeah. thinking, Sci-Fi? Yeah, it's, that's pretty terrible. That's not good for really any clientele. I mean, Saturdays, you want to be sleeping in. You don't want to be waking up in time to watch some, some show. I mean, I know there was like Saturday morning cartoons and, and things like that. I mean, people wanted to, most people that were watching Mystery Science Theater, you know, besides, um, myself, I was a bit younger at the time, but a lot of people were working. You know, they were adults. They wanted to, to, to sleep in. They just worked five, six days that week. So that really is just an awful schedule to try to try to live by to watch this uh this little riff show but i remember setting a you know vcrs were still a thing here we didn't hate dvds didn't even exist yet at this point i don't think yeah i think it was still a couple a couple more years till till that showed up it was so, getting pretty close i think because the what the mic years were like mid mid to late 90s i think yeah so uh, i just i remember because it was like screw that i'm not getting up at 10 a.m that's why vcrs have timers <laughs> yes. I recorded it and watched it later Saturday night. But I, I just remember being surprised. Because remember, back then, you didn't have the internet. You didn't have all this, hey, look what we got coming up. It was more or less, they did sometimes advertise it, but it was more or less a mystery you didn't know what movie you were going to get from week to week. And that's mm -hmm. all, all the Mystery Science Theater from the Comedy Channel years, through the Comedy Central years, through sci-fi. You didn't really know what movie you were going to get. And I remember being shocked, like, wait, an actual Universal Monsters Universal movie? What the <laughs> hell? It's kind of obvious because Universal owned the sci-fi channel, so they had access to Universal's library. But I remember Mystery Science Theater guys, when they moved from Comedy Central, when they were canceled from there and moved to sci-fi, they were, they were pretty pissed off because they thought, hey, we're going to have access to the entire Universal library and sci-fi channel library. They quickly found out, sci-fi channel said, no, you only have access to the bad movies. Uh -huh. they, they, they literally thought, we're going to have access to Brazil and Star Wars style movies and the entity and stuff and it's like no you're not <laughs> that must have been a must have been a kick in the teeth well because that's why they had to keep going with stuff like the leech woman the yeah. mole people the deadly mantis I'm going to say Roger Corman's the undead is a shockingly good movie it's atmospheric it's paced I happen to like the undead. I mean, it's it's something we covered in the the previous episode. There's a lot of movies that they've covered that are actually surprisingly and sometimes unsurprisingly quite good. 
I mean, like Terror from the Year 5000. I, okay, if, if you just say what the plot is, I go, you know what? I really like this. <laughs> and then you, and then, and then you watch it and you go, oh, it's one of those kind of movies, isn't it? Oh. But then there's the she creature. I thought, no, the movie absolutely deserves to be riffed. I personally don't think it's a good movie, but you know, Michael Landon in I Was a Teenage Werewolf, I thought this was one of the best Mystery Science Theater episodes. I just, I remember laughing my ass off at his hatred of milk and stuff like this. <laughs> we're, we're going to talk about the classic. We're back to Crazy Bill Rebane. The giant spider invasion might be in my top five mystery science theater movies ever because i remember i'm from wisconsin so i saw this movie on late night uhf tv more than once before it was on mystery science theater i just saw it at the rift tracks live a few weeks ago the giant spider invasion is a movie that mystery science theater this was like a gift they were gifted this movie (laughs) especially because they're all from wisconsin too there are so many wisconsin jokes in this movie man i mean in the riff. The, the Packer, Packers jokes and all that stuff. Not just that. The, the Tommy Bartlett's water slide. <laughs> there were, there were so many Wisconsin references in both the Mystery Science Theater and the riff tracks. Let's just take Giant Spider Invasion on its face. So you got Crazy Bill Rebane. You got the giant spider that looks like pipe cleaners for legs. You got the actual tarantulas that they're fucking killing. <laughs> and I don't know. This is another one of those movies that just feels perfect for three in the morning UHF television in the late 80s. Oh, it, it absolutely is. And it, it really is just a great episode for them to be doing for all the reasons you've listed, for the fact that it's just one of those perfect li- little B-movies that absolutely have a riffability to it. it. It really is one of the standout episodes of the of the Mike years. But then there's Parts the Clonus Horror. This one is the strange one because I remember I had caught this on UHF television at one point, but it didn't really stick. Then when I saw it on Mystery Science Theater, I'm like, oh, that's right, I, I've seen this. This is kind of neat. But then when The Island came out, the director of Parts said if it wasn't for Mystery Science Theater, he's not sure his lawsuit against The Island for plagiarism would have had the weight that it had. Oh, wow. Because way more people saw and knew about Parts from Mystery Science Theater than ever saw it when it was in its theatrical run. They had a very strong case against it because the the film was brought back into the fold thanks to Mystery Science Theater. But again, you have got the Mystery Science Theater effect for Parts. There are people who don't, who can't see that Parts is a good and very creepy movie. The lobotomy at the end and the very down ending. This is a movie that actually is trying to say something about how replaceable we are in society. And because of Mystery Science Theater, it's, oh yeah, it's that goofy movie with the old Milwaukee can. <laughs> no, it's, um, it's, it's got some great, um, high concept ideas there. Obviously it had, um, a fairly low budget, but I, I do see see the the heart that went into it it's it's almost almost an excellent film execution wise it it obviously needed some work but story wise it's it's quite good can't say the same thing about the incredibly strange creatures who stopped living and became mixed up zombies because ray dennis steckler or sorry was he credited as cash flag (laughs) on this one i can't remember if this was a you know but it's ray dennis steckler i saw this movie not on uhf tv not on cable i saw this film for the first time on a bootleg i remember this was going around the bootleg circuit and that title the incredibly strange creatures who stopped living and became mixed up zombies. How do you not pick up this movie? 
God, it's almost like uh something some hipster would call his band. I, I oh, I can see a craft beer being made. Oh, that absolutely! Title. Yeah, that's that's really that's really great. The the incredibly strange hops that that that's that stopped living and became a mixed up mixed up brewski or something. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's absolutely perfect. That's just the title alone. I don't remember what the movie was like at all, but the title definitely stands out. Okay, are you familiar with Ray Dennis Steckler's work at all? Because this is almost prototypical Ray Dennis Steckler, <laughs> where it's nonsensical, he had no permits, the story makes no sense, it's clearly shot over like the course of a year whenever he could grab footage, the acting is, okay, not even first take. These are people who, in most cases, don't even know they're on camera. It's one of those movies that they haven't said this, but I can only imagine how hard the writing process was because there's so much of this movie where it's just like somebody riding a roller coaster in real time and stuff. Oh. And you're just like, it, there's so much of this movie where you just want to scream, do something. It'll, it almost has like a, like a pseudo documentary feel. A lot of late sixties and early 70s movies kind of had that vibe to it with the whole like hippie generation and, and more of like kind of a, a guerrilla movement in, in filmmaking like the pseudo sequel I think it's like what was the name of the sequel to the blob it was like the return of the blob or the blob lives beware beware the beware blob, the blob. Yeah, that is such a strangely directed film because you you have a lot of moments in there where it's just people talking about really mundane things a lot of really handheld looking shots the movie begins on a on a fucking cat in a field this is the, the whole opening credits is just a cat hanging out in some grass with uh, a weird funky strange happy go lucky 70s music with with the the title title cards over it and i feel like that's that's just what a lot of 70s low budget movies were this like borderline experimental kind of vibe so yeah I'm, I'm i'm picking up what you're what you're putting down i can definitely picture what what sort of movie it's like but then prince of space i just remember that being a weird black and white japanese movie and then horror at party beach mm. monster that looks like it's got hot dogs falling out of its mouth <laughs> and then you have you have all these weird scenes where with the rock and roll you know they're just on the beach and there's all these good looking white kids playing the rock and roll if if this were an 80s movie you'd go so there's like five music videos complete in the movie right <laughs> yes because the movie just constantly keeps stopping to have a bad rock and roll song played out in quote unquote live for the audience oh my god get on with it just have the monster fucking kill someone already. <laughs> yes, it's a uh, Miami connection syndrome. But I remember kind of digging that. You know, Horror Party Beach became kind of a classic. Mm. Then there's Invasion of the Neptune Men. I want to skip that because I want to talk about Chest McLarge. Oh yes, Space Mutiny. I had actually seen this movie. It was either on HBO or VHS, and I rented it. Probably HBO. When I was watching the Space Mutiny episode, I'd totally forgotten the title. You know, the title Space Mutiny by the time Mystery Science Theater came up meant nothing mm. to me. I just remember what, what made me go, oh my god, I remember <laughs> this, was the recycled Battlestar Galactica oh, it's footage. it's so 
obvious to anybody that either watched it in original circulation or saw reruns, which I had seen. So when I saw Space Mutiny for the first time, I recognized it immediately. Very similar, I think, to... Because I, I remember, I'm pretty sure I watched an episode of Battlestar Galactica and the Space Mutiny episode in, like, the same day. So it's like, what the... What? It's like, it's so... It was so obvious that they were using recycled footage. Why are the Space Pirates Cylon Raiders... <laughs> This movie, I think more than anything, because Red Brown had had a pretty stable career up to this point. You know, he was Captain America in the 70s. He had all those action movies in the 80s. He won a freaking Australian Oscar for Death of yeah. a Soldier, when he, and he's fantastic. His Miami Vice episode, John Milius written Viking Bikers from Hell, is one of the most badass episodes of my... He shoots tubs, gets shot himself, just does his... And throws the bullet back. Back at him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Reb is a national treasure. But I think it's Space Mutiny that made Reb Brown the sensation that he is. Because he, he'd had this career just sort of bobbing around. He'd show up in, like, Howling 2 and then Firing Line and things Uncommon like that. Uncommon Valor. Uncommon Valor as Blatt, which, of course, I, I, I will always remember him in, in his first role as the stupid football player in getting bit in the shower oh, by the snake. Right. He has that small role as the dumb football player in <laughs> yes. that. But, you know, he just kind of bobbed around Hollywood. And then all of a sudden, Space Mutiny is on Mystery Science Theater, and he is a legend. I, I I actually think the Mystery Science Theater guys gave him the second half of his career. Because he, he pretty much was making really bad AIP, you know, Action International Pictures, David A. Pryor movies, one a year, and that was about mm. it. Then all of a sudden, after Mystery Science Theater, he's appearing at cons and I mean, they revitalized his entire career with Space Mutiny. No, they Mutiny. absolutely made him uh, a household name. I mean, I think he was he was doing fairly well for himself, especially in the 80s and the early 90s. Like, he, there was a lot of directors he was working with. He was doing a lot of stuff with Bruno Mattai. So it seemed like he was he was consistently working. You know, he he had done Yor. He was obviously Captain America. So it's it's not like he was doing poorly for himself. But I feel like people didn't necessarily recognize him. He was just kind of that. The, the movie you pluck off the video store shelf that looks kind of goofy, um, that sort of thing. Or, or you confuse it for something else. You know, you, you, you rent, uh, Robo War instead of Predator. But I, I feel like the Mystery Science Theater guys definitely revitalized his career, turned him into a household name, introduced him to a ton of people, introduced him to me. Cecil was introduced to him that way as well. You know, you, you've got people like Spoonie, who, who back in his more, the, the prime of his channel was a huge fan of, of Red Brown, was a huge fan of him through the Mystery Science Theater thing, and, and it continued to, to snowball through that. I mean, I, I feel like Mystery Science Theater really paved the way for not only Reb, but for, like, online reviewers and people that, that create content that are also fans of that, that are also fans of Reb Brown, that also wanted to share their love for him as just a total household name and, and, and keep that keep that spirit going like it really did it really did wonders for the man to me i didn't discover him through this he, he was he was my captain well, yeah. america i remember watching those the night they each one of them the night they premiered so reb brown was captain there's america a great scene in captain america death too soon where he's in the middle 
of a park painting a cat and some of the bad guys come up to him and, be, and, and tell him tell him something like uh, why are you here what are you doing around here and he, he responds with the most poignant response I think I've ever heard any action hero or any given movie character say well it's where the cat is see I, I'm always going to think Red Brown you know what I've, I've never called him I don't know what his phone number is but if he does not have as his outgoing message <laughs> he's missing an opportunity it was this was another one where I didn't recognize the title, but as soon as I saw Overdrawn at the Memory Bank on Mystery Science Theater, I went, "Oh my God, I've seen this!" And then all of a sudden, I'm like, "Wait a minute!" And then it's got like this Casablanca theme. I'm like, "I saw this on like PBS or something in the early <laughs> '80s." This is that that Raul Julia shot on oh, video one. God, yes. Overdrawn at the Memory Bank is really strange in that this is a movie that's really trying to be a good movie with a plot. And the crappy shot on video production. The whole movie looks like a bad Doctor Who yeah, episode, doesn't and, it? And you gotta, I mean, Raul Julia, it seems like no matter what he's in, he's always gonna give it his best. You know, he, as, as pure suck that the Street Fighter movie is, he really gave it his all as bison. The, the guy is a consummate professional when it comes to acting, which really is surprising to me why he would be in, in such a shittio looking film. I don't know if this was a PBS movie, but this, this this feels like oh, a PBS movie, straight it up. Really does. He probably did it. I'm sure he did. Art. Yeah, he saw some sort of artistic integrity in it, or there was some other reason for him to do it. Because what was it? He did. He did Street Fighter for his kid, I think, because they were like a big fan of the Street Fighter games or something. So it was it was more like kind of a yeah. gift to his uh, to his child. So that's I feel like that's just kind of what Raul Julia was was like. He had um, there was always a motive, some sort of reason to do the movie, even if it seemed like uh, this low budget shot on shittio brick VHS kind of movie, I'm sure he saw something in it because he really is like an actor's actor. He'll he'll do a role because he can see the the potential in doing that role. He can see some sort of learning experience from it or or the craft of it or whatever. That that guy was just just great. You can't say the same thing about Donald Pleasance in Puma Man. I, there's, there's Donald not, Pleasance there's not I love could I, say about Puma I, Man to begin with. I love Donald Pleasance, but this is so, I have like an alimony yeah. check due yep. kind of movie, <laughs> you know? Puma Man, uh, Puma Man sucks on toast. But such a perfect episode for Mystery Science Theater though. The, the, the riffing of, of his like flying song, uh, just everything in the movie is, is perfect for Mystery Science Theater to, to play around with. Poo. My man, he flies like a moron. <laughs> I saw it on late night UHF TV in probably the late 80s, and I didn't know what the hell I was getting into. <laughs> but it's, it's bizarre. It is a bizarre film and just dreadful. It's complete dreck, but like, so bizarre to the point where it is it you can watch it you you can watch it without the riff you can watch it with the riff it's just such a hilariously terrible train wreck of a of a movie and you'd think puma man would be really cool pumas are awesome how did how does he end up being such a dweeb that flies like an idiot like there's so much wrong with this movie both intentional unintentional it's just it's just perfect. You know what else is just perfect? Werewolf, or or, or should I say werewolf? The the way the, the the way the cute scientist chick with the huge knockers says it. 
<laughs> okay, I don't like this movie, but I love the Mystery Science Theater of it because, well, first of all, you got Richard Lynch for no reason because R- Richard Lynch is awesome, but yeah. a guy turns into a werewolf because he gets beaten by a Yanaglanchi skull and it somehow scratches him and then the werewolf drives a lot. And, yeah. and then you've got the, the, the chick with the big boobs who has such a thick accent that she's almost unintelligible. <laughs> yeah. You can tell multiple times they've left mistakes in the movie where there are multiple times where she fumbles over her line and you just have to ask, so was that the best take or did they just not do a second take? But I, I, I thought Werewolf was a great movie. It had great riffs, but I remember seeing this like right when it came out on VHS which was maybe a year or two before it was on Mystery Science Theater. All I knew was, it's a werewolf movie with Richard Lynch? Of course I'm going to rent this. Well, yeah, obviously, naturally. R- Richard Lynch is a, is a great way to add a, a nice little little pinch of, of spice to, to any movie. He really is great. Like, he is easily one of the best character actor, villain actors that you can you can pretty much put into put into anything. He, he'll make just about any movie better. But then there's the Deadly Bees, the Space Children, but then there's Hobgoblins. I, oh boy. I, I, I either saw this on VHS or on USA Up All Night. Oh mm. my god, is Hobgoblins a USA Up All Night movie? This is another one where the movie has become so famous because of being on Mystery Science Theater. I mean, it's not a good movie. I'm not gonna try and defend it, but. Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> it's awful. It's, um, it's one of the, one of the MST 3K movies that are actually I'd say it's pretty hard to watch without the riff. I can't disagree with you. I happen to like a lot of the director's other movies, but mm. I, I've been trying to get him on the show for a while. He is just absolutely sick of Hobgoblins. Oh, God. One, one of the things when I started talking to him was, I don't want to talk about Hobgoblins. And I'm like, no, no, no. We'll, we'll talk about The Visitants. We'll talk about Blood Theater. We don't have to talk about Hobgoblins. I actually think Mystery Science Theater made this movie too famous. Oh, it absolutely did. It's, uh, it, I mean, it became one of the very classic episodes of the show, and it is really, really perfectly riffable, and it's just a pure, pure dreck of a film that that came out during the the, the pinnacle of, of films like you know Gremlins, Ghoulies, and Critters and stuff like that. So a, a lot of filmmakers were trying to make their little rubber monster movie as well, and it's it's just just sucks on toast. I I can't stand Hobgoblins. Great mystery science theater episode, but the movie sucks. What about something like Touch of Satan? It, it just it's got a Canadian feel to it. It might not be a Canadian movie, but I've, I I always dug movies like this. This is another one of those late night UHF staples. Now, to our younger generation, you don't understand what UHF TV was. UHF was they just had to fill after they were done with their Hawaii Five O reruns, rather than go off the air at night. They would throw on all of these bad movies, and back then the prints were washed out, and everything was full frame and a mono soundtrack, and they would put on anything. Touch of Satan is a total late night UHF movie, just like we haven't got there yet, but like Track of the Moon Beast. I saw that on late night UHF TV, 
God, does that bring back that feel, you know? No, for sure. Like, absolutely. Um, again, one of, one of those perfect, uh, mystery science theater movies as well. Then there's Gorgo, which is another oddly famous one. Now remember, they haven't had a Godzilla movie or a Gamera movie since the KTMA days because those became unlicensable after a while. Gorgo is the closest they came to getting back to that. And Gorgo was, as much as we might make fun of it, that was a pretty big movie at the time. He had his own comic book. That was a big movie. I don't think it's a mm. good movie, but it was a big movie. <laughs> Let's talk Italian Jaws ripoff. Good God, do I love Devilfish. Oh, that's the, um, Michael, Michael Sopke was in that yes. movie. Yes. Yes. I love Devilfish. I, I don't know. There's just something about those Italian uh, ripoffs that are pretending so hard that they're American. I saw, <laughs> I, I, I saw this movie on VHS. It might even have been a bootleg. This might not even have been a legal VHS, but I do remember watching this on VHS before I saw it on Mystery Science Theater, although I want to say it was under a different title. I don't think I saw it under the title Devilfish. I don't mm. remember what the title might have been, but it was something like something sh Devil Shark or something like that. It had shark in the title. Well, those those Italian movies always had like 15, 16 different names to them, so I'm, I wouldn't be surprised at all by that. But this is also a perfect, not only late night UHF movie, but a mystery science theater movie. They got off so many great riffs on just the incomprehensibility of the plot, the acting, the I am totally American. No, you're not. Uh, of, of, <laughs> yeah. the, of the dubbing. I, I dig Devilfish. I really do. Oh, it's it's great. I mean, anything with um, Michael Sopke is, is one of those uh, actors I really wish did did more movies. There's something really likable about him. He, he would be... He's kind of what I would consider to be like the Italian Kurt Russell. He's kind of got that vibe to him. And it's by the director of Blast Fighter, man. Of course. God, that's a great one, too. The Screaming Skull. I got to admit, I always dug this movie. Same. That I, I praised the hell out of that one in our in the part one of this episode. I think it's a genuinely good horror film. It's a genuinely good character study about mental illness. Sure, it's got a couple of cheesy little effects here and there of the skull floating around and, and the ghost woman, but it's a genuinely well written and I would say very beautifully shot film. It's it's one of those really great looking black and white movies. Which is what you can't say about future war. <laughs> where poor Robert Zadar is some looking like a bad Borg cosplayer from the future where he looks like they just took equipment and stuck him to random parts of his body. It's yeah. all shot on video. It's got the obvious hand puppet dinosaurs and you just, <laughs> what are you doing? What do you, stop, you're embarrassing all of us. This sounds like a Robert Zadar movie. Well, then there's Boggy Creek 2, The Legend Continues. Oh, I, God. I truly dig all the Boggy Creek movies. I mean, there are two sequels, one's official, one's not. I honestly dig all the Boggy Creek movies. Sue me. Isn't, isn't that the one where Big Feet helps out the little kids that get stranded or something? Well, he's not a Big Feet. He's a, what is he? What's he, he supposed he's, to be? He's the Boggy Creek monster. He's he, the Boggy, well, he's, he's his own thing. Foot. He's his own he, thing, dude. He's Bigfoot. He's fucking Bigfoot. He's his own thing. He's the Boggy <laughs> Creek Monster. The Boggy Creek Monster. Sure. Why not? How, okay, and then I mentioned Track of the Moon Beast. How about the vampire movie? It it lives by night. It's sort of a vampire bat kind of. I don't even know if vampire is the right word. But remember with the big bats? Somewhat. I, I, I vaguely remember that one. If I'm remembering it right, then there's Horrors of Spider Island, and then 
Squirm. The first time I saw Squirm was on UHF television late at night. I actually thought it was going to be way different than what it was because the channel, one of the local channels, had screwed up. And something, I don't know, see, the, the movie opens on a storm, and it might actually have been storming that night. The first 15 minutes, the entire first up until the first commercial, were in black and white. And the movie is not in black and white. It was just a screw up by the channel. Honestly, the movie lost a lot of charm when it came back in color. Oh, man. Sometimes, yeah, like, I don't know, like, black and white can really add a, a touch of mood or, or class to something. But I just, oh, Squirm is not a good movie, though. I, 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 I like the director, Jeff Lieberman, but, oh, man, this is not a good movie. I mean, <laughs> it's killer earthworms. It's not even giant killer earthworms. It's just earthworms. You, you, you do, worms. you do know this isn't that hard to get away from, right? You know, yeah, they're, you, they're you earthworms. There's just things you shouldn't make, uh, creature features about. Like, Night, Night of the, Night of the Lepus is, uh, one of those prime examples. You, you can't make a, you can't make a bunny scary. They're too cute. That's all the Mystery Science Theater movies I saw before they were on Mystery Science Theater. As we discussed in the first part of this episode, there, there are so many people that first encounter these movies through Mystery Science Theater. We already discussed whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Do you think that most people who've seen these movies on Mystery Science theater would revisit them honestly i don't mean like let's go watch a goofy movie and make our own riffs but honestly revisit a lot of these movies unriffed or clean as as we'll put them a lot of these movies are they great movies no but I really do think you should see something like Zombie Nightmare Clean to really see if it's whether or if it's really a bad movie or not. Or Werewolf or something like that. Watch it clean and then see if, if you still have the same opinion. I can see uh, having a potential for that because, I mean, I did that with a lot of the uh, Mike Nelson era, even the Joel era. There, there are movies I, I hadn't seen before seeing the show and I'd watch the episode and occasionally I would get uh, curious and I would go and, and check the movie out for myself. I, I feel like if I've done that and people of my friend circle have done, I mean, I, I did that for, I did that for movies like Nanos just to see if it really is as, as unwatchable as Joel made it seem like. And yeah, yeah it, it kind is. of is. Yeah. It kind of is. <laughs> but I'm kind of glad that I did it just to kind of get, get the impression for myself. I feel like if I've done that and people I know have done that, I'm sure there are others that have that will watch the episode and go, you know, I, I want to see it without the, the hosts. I want to see it without the commercial breaks. I want to see what this movie is for itself. And I feel like that's that's either given people that kind of catharsis of knowing, oh, you know, it is it is pretty shit. Or they discover one of their one of their favorite favorite movies of all time, finding a, a B movie that they're that they're gonna watch unrift and something that they can really enjoy with their friends. So I, I feel like it absolutely the show has the the potential for that for people who had seen it rift first and decide I'm just gonna I'm gonna check this out anyway. I think you have a completely different perspective on the films and on Mystery Science Theater if you already have seen the movie. If you're seeing it for the first time with the jokes, it really takes away from the film. And a lot, like I said, a lot of these movies, they're bad movies. But I think there's something, I don't know if catharsis is the right w word, that there's something unique about seeing the movies clean, then seeing them on Mystery Science Theater, instead of the opposite. You feel like there's, I don't know if, um, I mean, this is, I mean, I know that sometimes editing wise, cutting it down for time, sometimes it would tamper w with the film. 
characters would go missing, plot points would go somewhere, and they would they would make the the riff in accordance to that. And it's it sort of does manipulate with the film, so it's it's kind of good to see it for what it actually is to to get a proper understanding and I guess appreciation for it. Because I mean, it's a TV show that had a certain running time, so sometimes they would have to edit the movie to make way for you know skits and jokes and, and stuff that they were doing, and obviously to to cover the time. So it is worth seeing the movie clean because you are seeing it clean you're seeing it without the without mystery science theaters editing that's involved occasionally with the film I had seen a lot of these movies prior to Mystery Science Theater, and then I saw them on Mystery Science Theater, and they were edited, as you pointed out. It's so strange when I see them again now, and I go, oh my god, I totally forgot about this subplot or this this scene. When I was at the Giant Spider Invasion Rift Tracks Live, I totally forgot about the sort of gropey, rapey scene, because that's not in the Mystery Science Theater version, and I've seen that version about a dozen times Hmm. I had totally forgot about the gropey rapey scene that's not in the sci-fi channel version. Well, yeah, I mean, with Mystery Science Theater, you're, you are seeing a cut version of the film a lot of the time. You're mainly watching it for the hosts and for the, the jokes that they made. It's not really a movie going experience. It's, it's a comedy show. It's, it's more of like, uh, almost like a stand-up routine played with that with a film in the background more than anything like you're in a lot of cases you're not really seeing the movie samurai cop that's not on mystery science theater but my my girlfriend had never seen samurai cop so when we went to the riff tracks live they left in all the swearing but i guess they're still a little prickly about the nudity all of a sudden when melissa moore's character goes you want to fuck I'm like and now we see melissa's moore's boot wait a minute they they cut the entire sex scene out what the hell? <laughs> and that's my girlfriend's first time seeing Samurai Cop, and it's like, but it's cut. Yeah, it's an edited version. And it's that's like, kind of that's we're odd. Supposed, that they... We're supposed to see Melissa Mars boobs. She has great boobs. <laughs> and plus, also, I don't know. I mean, if you're gonna leave in curse words, if you're gonna leave in violence, like, why not leave in the tits too? Just, just go all out. Do the whole thing. Rift Tracks tries to do this relatively family friendly thing. They'll leave in the language, but I, I mean, e- even in Space Mutiny, when they did the Rift Tracks live on that, they at least left in the sex scene, but they covered it with with one of the guy's faces over the boobs. In Samurai Cop, they just cut Melissa Moore's entire nude scene, and that was disappointing. Yeah. I've always liked Melissa Moore, at least in the (laughs) 90s Melissa Moore. I don't know what she looks like now, but I thought she was always so cute. She kind of had that, you know, that that chubby thing with the big natural boobs. I'm not going to get into that, but... That's a different thing. But what I'm what I'm saying to the audience is, you people need to go check out these movies uncut. And by that I mean just unriffed. Go look for them on one of the streaming services or on an old VHS. A lot of this stuff is on YouTube. Don't watch the Mystery Science Theater version if you've already seen that. Watch it uncut and then see if you have the same opinion over this movie blows or not. So on that note, where can people find Peter this movie blowing? Usually on on Twitter saying questionable questionable things of, of varying levels of sanity. And sobriety. Oh Jesus. Uh yeah. 
very, very, very varying levels of, of sobriety, usually of not at all. <laughs> at Cinematica on Twitter, YouTube, The Cinematicus, Facebook, The Cinematicus, on 1201beyond.com with other fine programming, on Patreon at Cinematica. And you can find me at 1201beyond.com. Contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Guys, watch some uncut movies. Try to be a cut above. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night.
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.